What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Long Game Podcast hosted by Thomas Kopelman and Trayton DeVore. In each episode, you'll hear us break down financial topics that are relevant to the lives of millennials and other young professionals. Our goal is to help bring credible financial information to you in short, bite-sized episodes. Thomas Kopelman and Trayton DeVore are the co-founders and financial planners at All Street Wealth. All opinions expressed by Thomas and Trayton are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of All Street Wealth. This podcast is for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It should not be considered advice. Please consult with your financial advisor, tax, legal, and any other advisors you have before making any decisions regarding your financial plan. All right. What's up? And welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Long Game Podcast. This week, I'm joined by one of my favorite financial planners. I would say a mentor of mine for a long time, somebody who's helped shape me to really where I'm at today. Um, And he's local in Indianapolis. Russ, thanks for joining me, man. Yeah, Thomas, thanks for having me. Um, Yeah, those are uh, those are kind words. Um, I mean, it's just been fun to uh, see your growth. I mean, you're uh, well, you know, well past me now in a short period of time in so many ways, which is really cool to see. So the fact that, you know, I was ever, you know, a mentor and just like, you know, pointed you in one right direction. All you had to do is, you know, take that direction and run with it. It's cool to see where you're going now. I mean, yeah, it's a lot of cool stuff, Thomas. I don't think many people know really the story, but like, I mean, my first job, I was at a broker dealer and my boss used to work with you. And I was like really trying to figure out like, who do I want to be as a planner? What does that look like? And I stumbled across Wayfinder's website and your entire homepage spoke to like exactly who I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. It was like, you know, think best friend, not financial planner. Think like I'm at home at your kitchen. I know you, your kids are there. Like all of these things about really like collaboration, friendship, like, and just helping guide people, but not really like just tell people what to do. And then I was at a conference, which wasn't even a financial conference. And I saw you across the room. And I just, I just went up to you and, and talk to you. And then from that period of time, you really introduced me to the fee only world, like what real financial planning looks like. And yeah. it was like the push for me to leave. And then you also introduced me to Justin, helped me get that spot at Justin, mentored me. And yeah. through that, helped me yeah. get ready to start my own firm. And yeah. I mean, yeah. that's what I always like say when people ask me, it's like you and Justin definitely had the biggest impact on me of anybody else by far. Yeah. Well, it's fun. I mean, that you made it easy and, um, you know, it was easy to, uh, help you out when you made me feel important, uh, seeing me from across the room and telling me that you recognize me from my website. You know, I felt, uh, <laughs> I mean, know, it's, I, I, you know, I, I'm not like a celebrity, so I don't get recognized and just approached like that. And that was a funny moment and a cool moment, you know? Um, but yeah. I think it shows you know, the impact of like experience of working at like a, you know, commission based broker dealer and pushing product, et cetera. You know, it's, um, you know, it's fun to help people, you know, who haven't seen the other side of our industry that can do some really cool and good things for people and have, you know, um, you know, just like the right mindset of helping people. It's cool to help people that were in those shoes that you and I both have been in at other firms that, you know, maybe don't always give off that vibe. Um, it's cool to help people like you see the other yeah I, I mean it's definitely been a, watch run with it, so yeah. it's been a big reason I try to do the same thing for other people and figure out like the best solution to do it but I also think it's like it shows the impact of 
having any content or any presence online is like, maybe you don't realize the amount of people that you're inspiring or teaching or educating. Like I just think of, you know, Peter Lazaroff and I, TJ Van Gerven, other people with podcasts that were consumer focused. I mean, one of the first things you really taught me is like, Hey, what you're learning is not financial planning. What you're learning is selling products and there's, you just got to dive into it. And so even though these people had content that wasn't geared towards me, consuming it is really what taught me all the pieces of financial planning, what it looks like, and and, and just a way to dive deep and hear things from other people. So, I mean, your website is what did that for me to understand that it, there is a different way to do financial planning. It doesn't have to be selling and it can be collaboration and it can actually be fun and feel good. And you don't have to feel like, oh, I lost this. I didn't get 12 leads this week. Like it, it actually could be people focused. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, and it doesn't have to be um, shame-based, you know, um, mentality either, which is what a lot of our industry in which I think, um, you know, plays into the topic we're talking about today with debt, et cetera, also, you know, um, so much of our industry and just financial media, you know, um, can bring a shame-based mentality to debt, which can be such a good tool as well. Um, and so to have the freedom to advise people in the way we want to advise them. And, um, it's just really cool. Yeah. So let's, let's dive into it today. And and I love that you came up with this topic. Uh, I really appreciate the fact that you analyzed my episodes to find like, what was a missing piece. That's honestly super helpful. Nobody's done that. Um, (laughs) but today we're going to talk about debt. And I think that it's a really great topic because half of FinTwit and all these influencers are like, I'm the debt-free millionaire by 30. And that's cool. Like in absolutely no way am I saying it's bad to have no debt, but I think it's not telling the whole story to pretend that all debt is bad debt and that you shouldn't be leveraging debt. I mean, you can even think of any product-based business. Mm -hmm. Any product-based business is going to be hindered if they don't take on any debt early on. I mean, think about it. It's why even like Shark Tank exists. I know that's equity, but they also have the debt side of like a lot of times debt can be fuel in a business, but it can also be fuel in your in your personal life. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I'm going to hand this off to you and, and start this conversation around like, why do you think debt is a good tool in certain situations? And maybe we we kind of start to break down what's good debt and what's bad debt. And I also think there's a gray area. Right, right, right. Well, yeah, I mean, that's where I would go with it is like, I almost like, um, you know, want to push back even on the good debt and bad debt thing, right? Like, I am a believer in spectrums overall, you know, and um, I like that the good debt and bad debt, like terminology, I think is better than just all debt is bad, right? Like, so it's like better terminology and a step in the right direction. But also, I think there's a spectrum and it really just depends on the individual. Like, again, I would agree with you that, the person who wants to be, you know, the debt-free millionaire and, you know, kind of the millionaire next door mentality, et cetera. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Like finance is personal, right? And if debt really, really makes you um, feel anxious and you just hate it, then like debt isn't for you. Like none of these decisions should be made in a spreadsheet, like one way or the other. Um, But what I more often see because of, I think our culture, you know, at least what I see in um, our culture in finance in America is like, there's so much messaging around debt being bad. 
and avoiding debt and et cetera, that more often what I see is people hampered by feeling like they can't pursue a dream of theirs or they can't take a next step because of this debt they have that they have to you know, deal with first or because they don't see an opportunity to take a plunge by using debt you know, into a dream or starting a business or buying real estate or whatever. Um, and so like, I just, you know, like to like take that other side and encourage people to rethink, you know, our mindset around debt. Cause I mean, even me, you know, I can get influenced all the time by the constant, like having, you know, having debt is bad and risky, et cetera. And, you know, the way to like wealth is to, you know, pay off your debt and the millionaire next door. And it's not wrong, but there also is another way too, right? Yeah. Yes, I, and, you know, so, I, and I think you're right. I mean, I guess just going off what you said with like business owners and product-based businesses, right? You see that with inventory and like needing to, you know, use debt, but there's so many other examples. I mean, and I think, you know, all the things, you know, the big forces we talk about in our society, you know, whether it be, the big banks or, you know, um, very, very wealthy people and millionaires and billionaires, you know, even cities like you live in in Carmel, Indiana, for people in New Carmel, Indiana, so many of these institutions and big people, they use debt, right, to get to where they're going. I mean, banks, literally, that's their whole business model is their debt is essentially paying back the people who have, you know, cash accounts with them, and then they're making money by lending it out themselves. And your city of downtown Carmel is, you know, using debt to build all these cool places where you just moved into, right? And um, in a big way, that's been Carmel's thing. And, um, you know, like as much as I think certain rules and tax laws, et cetera, shouldn't be as advantageous as they are to, you know, like, use debt and avoid taxes, et cetera, for the wealthy. That is the nature of the tax law currently. And like, I don't want it to just be the billionaires that know how to use that to their advantage. Right. I like, think what you're talking about too, just people know is like the advantage of the tax code there is I can leverage debt and borrow even against equity that I own versus sell investments, sell something else to, le to get that money. There's a tax impact on one. The other right. one, there's no tax impact, and that's how it's leveraged. Right, right, but right. And I and, and so often, like the the more you know, everyday Americans who even have some good income and good wealth they're building, like they're not necessarily familiar about you know tools that they can use in this way. So see it all yeah. the time. Yeah, like I think getting into like more of the detailed examples of these big things I'm yeah. about would be great. And we totally will. I, I want to go back to the part that you said in the beginning about like understanding the person you, you don't want to live in the spreadsheets on these decisions and i think that is really important because we can talk about good debt and bad debt and we can talk about hey you know three years ago you could take out a mortgage it could be three percent on an appreciating asset like in all areas mathematically that says you should never be paying down that debt i mean you're getting more interest on your savings currently right. today than doing that right but that's where you have to go back to the step and say, get to know the person, right? So there's two, there's at least a couple of types of people. One type of person's like, I'm okay with debt. I'll leverage debt, not worried about it. But then on the side of people who are anti-debt, I see two different people. You see one that's, 
my parents told me debt's bad, pay off all your debt as soon as I can, blah, 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 which was true for their parents when they saw seven to 10% interest rates on their mortgage. Sure, but then sure. there's, and, and that person I think can be educated into understanding why leveraging that debt is good and you can't accelerate it. But then there's person number two who they got their house foreclosed in 08, taken away, parents had to move, they had to rent, parents destroyed. That person, you might not be able to educate them out of the decision of leveraging the debt because to them, they had such a traumatic experience and part of money to them is, I never want to let that be a possibility in my life. And so getting rid of this fixed payment alleviates that. And that's where you can't really have an answer of good debt or bad debt, or you should do this or you shouldn't do that because one can be taught and one can't be really necessarily overcome. Maybe a ton of therapy, but still, I don't necessarily think that that person could could be. Yeah, right. Like, I think this episode is really like for the person who feels like they have an opportunity in front of them, you know, to get ahead. They have a vision for a business or for investments or real estate, and um, they want to take advantage of that, or they have some assets you know, that they've been working hard, you know, and they want to use them, you know, but they're not aware of all the tools like that type of person, I think is who this episode is for. Like, and, you know, as financial advisors, we have clients on different ends of the spectrum, like you're alluding to Thomas, and I can think of examples within my own client base where, yeah, like, I'm going to talk in this episode about a lot of ways I love debt and like talk about debt with my clients and advocate for it. But like, you know, on one, on the other end of the spectrum, I can think of multiple clients, but one in particular who, you know, I think the worst advice is to have debt and it's not because they wouldn't be good at using it. It's because emotionally, you know, their life circumstances in a tough place to use debt. They're, um, you know, they had their spouse pass away. Uh, within the last few years, you know, they are not a high income producer themselves. They're going through grief. Uh, they're fearful of running out of money, you know, and even though they have a decent amount of money and won't run out of money, like we paid off the house, you know, even though like there's a low interest rate, but because having that monthly payment brought just tons of anxiety and fear of like seeing more money go out the door every month, like just those every everyday transactions feel more weighty to that person than like one time seeing it go out the door to pay off the mortgage. Yeah. Like now they don't have that transaction every month coming out of their bank account and it can help them feel more secure. So like that was the right choice for them. Know, debt would be a really good strategy to keep them building wealth. Like it's just not the right emotional fit at this point. Yeah. Their yeah. emotions are half the half of what we need to think about with planning, you know, or more more than half. And I think that's a great way to segment into tools to leverage debt because this person, right, that might've been the best decision they possibly could make today. Five years from now, they might be in a completely different state. They might be more secure in their life. They might be feeling better. Maybe their income has gone up and, and maybe interest rates are low and maybe they cash out refi and they go use that somewhere else and grab a 3% mortgage. Like I, I have a client who, um, he paid off his house like maybe seven, eight years ago. And then three years ago, rates were 2.85%. And he cash out refi, used that to go buy a rental, now has a revenue producing rental 
and he has a 2.85% interest rate on, let's say, $300,000 of debt. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he leveraged that and made a good investment and good business decision. Yeah, absolutely. Right there. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I think you make a very good point about how, yeah, things can change from year to year and the situation and the emotions and the place in life can change, right? And this is a progress in like, we're all on our own journey financially and decision making wise. And, you know, it takes time to shift a mentality that was ingrained in you growing up. Like all, we all have our own money scripts from like our parents or upbringing or whatever our upbringing was and what they taught us, you know, uh, directly or indirectly about money. And even if we see, you know, we're listening and we see that can be this great tool. It can take a while to really like, embrace that and harness that right and that's okay like if you're listening to this is like you know you can give yourself time you know to uh, accept certain strategies that might you know be interesting but you're not quite ready for yet but might be ready yeah. for this year you know yeah yeah no I, I totally agree so let's go into some of like your favorite debt tools that you talk about yeah yeah I mean um yeah so like I think a lot of times, you know, it's just about creating options and flexibility, you know, for clients even before they need to use debt, right? Like, so um, I love, you know, getting clients to think about opening up lines of credit of various kinds um, because like, you know, for, you know, listeners, you know, when you're thinking about lines of credit and versus loans, you know, a line of credit is not taking out a loan right away and not having to like get money and then start paying it back. It's just giving yourself the option to take out a loan in the future, right? It's kind of like having a credit card where it's two separate decisions. One is to open and then have it as an option to use it. And the second decision is actually using it. You could have mm -hmm. a credit card and never use it. The same with the line of credit. And I mean, since I've started, you know, advising at my own company within the last four years or so, you know, and wasn't so focused on selling product, you know, I've learned way more about debt tools and all sorts of financial tools than I ever did in my first six years in the industry. And so many of those are just various different lines of credit, whether it be home equity lines of credit, which people might be more familiar with. But if you start to build assets in taxable, accessible investment accounts, you can use lines of credit that are backed against your securities. So like if you have index funds or stocks and you have enough of them in an account, you know, you can work with banks or various institutions to give you a line of credit that is collateralized against those assets. And that's that can start to become really powerful. We can get into that. Um, let's do, real quick, let's yeah. take a pause. Both of them great. Let's go into the, the HELOC a little bit, talk yeah. a little bit more details, and then we're going to go into that one. So with the HELOC, yeah. um, so HELOC is, hey, we can borrow against the equity that we have in the home. Typically, like you have to have well above 20% because you can usually take out what gets you to 20%. Some say 25%. So let's say you have, $500,000 home, yeah. half of that's paid off, then maybe you have a hundred to 150,000 that you can use there. And I love using HELOCs and I loved them a lot more three years ago and two years ago, for sure. When interest rates are low, I think that is also helpful to talk through the risk side, because I just had this conversation with a client and they're like, 
hey, we're, we live, they live in a high cost of living area. A condo there that's small is $1.2 million. Mm-hmm. They're going to move in a few years, $2 million home, which again, people are like 2 million. That's crazy. It's sure, Washington, sure, DC. Sure. They're close to family, blah, blah, blah. Nobody can argue. Than Indiana. <laughs> it's like decisions. Yes. But their thought is, okay, I'm going to turn my current condo into a rental and I'm going to buy this new property how are we going to do that? I mean, 20% down payment is 400,000 closing costs, all these other things. That's a lot of money. And I'm like, well, that's the downside of not selling your current place. And they're like, well, what about a home equity line of credit? And I'm like, okay, that, that is an option. But if you go grab a home equity line of credit, you already have a high payment on this house. You're paying off, let's say a $500,000 home equity line of credit at 9% right now. You don't want to stretch it out over, let's say 30 years. You want to do it over 10 10 years to pay off $500,000 at a 10% interest rate is a lot. Like sometimes when we start to think leveraging debt, people forget about the side of how do I pay that off too? And and that's where I feel the biggest risk is, is people just think leverage debt, great. But then they have no clue how you're going to pay that off. And when you have a 9% interest rate compared to what the market is, you have a guaranteed 9% cost that's eating you versus a hypothetical rate of return. And in, in the short term. Right. Yeah. And the thing is, is you always, yeah, like, like you're alluding to, you got to get into the specifics and have a plan, right? It's not like get debt and go in blind and just be like, it's great. I'm leveraging an asset, have a plan for what, you know, what you're going to do with it and how you're going to use it and how you're going to pay it off. I mean, what I would say in that scenario, still like, you know, if I can insert myself, it'd be you know, that decision's a couple years away. Um, like I would advocate for, we don't know what the decision is on how to fund that, like if it's two years from now yet, but let's increase our options and flexibility for when we get there. Like, you know, who knows where interest rates will be, but if we can open up a line of credit now, you know, and if we can do that with a bank that doesn't really charge big account opening fees or appraisal fees and there's which at least here in indiana working with local banks you can find banks where you can get lines of credit without a bunch of fees standing in the way so there's really no downside to opening it but if you can open it and have access to it maybe you have access to it and two years from now when you buy the new place um interest rates are lower and the plan makes sense to draw on that for the down payment or you get there and you're like, no, we don't want to draw on it. And you never use the line of credit, but at least you have that option, the flexibility, yeah. you know, like getting it open early, I think is always a good thing. And maybe for them, the decision is, well, hey, based on all of this, we should just sell that and not turn it into a rental. And maybe sure. where they're saving in cash a long time for, for the sure. period of time and having in treasuries or high yield savings account. And then they're like, okay, maybe we miss out on the market for two years, but now we have three options of really the best way to handle it. Like, I think, I think that you, I really like the idea of having it open, but then the other side too, is like, let's say we leverage this three years ago and rates were low. You still do run the variable interest rate risk. Like all of a sudden you were trying to pay off this loan. It was 4%. Now it's 10. That monthly payment goes up a lot. And then again, you could maybe say, well, then maybe we'll sell some investments to help fund it. But then now the market's down. So like, This is all why planning is so hard is because we're trying to like come up with the best option without with 10 unknown variables over the next few years. Sure, sure, sure. sure. You know, and what I would say also is in that scenario with 
home equity lines of credit. And that, I mean, maybe I'm just, uh, I'll play the other side to the conversation, which I like you talking about the risks because it is important. But like in that scenario, if you're working with the right institution, you should like to open up a home equity line of credit, you should be sure that whenever you do draw on it, that they have options to, once you do draw on it, like if you had a $100,000 line of credit and you take out 75 grand on it, like, and now, and it's a variable interest rate, like, do they have an option where once you take out the 75 grand, you could create a fixed, you know, you could lock in a fixed interest rate and a fixed payback period. And the right banks will have that option, which I think is good, you know, to offset those risks, et cetera. Yeah, I like um, that. Yeah. And I would also say like in that scenario with like, do we hold on to this place? And even if, you know, you're using a line of credit or a loan, you know, to fund a down payment on the new place so you can hang on to this place, like it all just comes down to the numbers on holding on to that place, right? If you can rent it for enough to cover both the existing mortgage plus the 10% line of credit you drew on, like, and you're making good income, then great. If not, yeah. if that 10% line of credit puts you in the hole, like that's a conversation to have about whether or not you want yeah. to be in the hole on that, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I like that. Okay, so let's go to the next debt tool. Yeah, so I think, so home equity lines of credit are like talked about way more often, I think. You know, obviously not everyone talks about them, but they're more talked about, that I think, than like securities-backed lines of credit or pledged assets line of credit, you might hear them called, but like, it's essentially like if you have, you know, a hundred thousand dollars, right. And it does, I mean, that is the nature of this conversation. Like some of these debt tools are for people, you know, like you can only start utilizing once you've built up, you know, some money, you know, in accounts, but for this tool specifically, that's the case. But if you have, you know, a hundred thousand dollars or whatever the number is and a taxable investment account, um, you know, oftentimes the thought is, well, if you're ever going to use that, you have to sell those assets, potentially trigger capital gains tax on whatever gains you, you know, you have in that portfolio. And then, you know, use that money and you also no longer have that invested. Like if you're using that to buy a house or start a business or maybe fund your kid's college or whatever it might be. Whereas that's not the only option. What often doesn't get talked about is that you could, um, with the right institutions, et cetera, um, you can open up a line of credit against those assets. And again, opening up the line of credit doesn't mean you ever have to use it. It's just an option, right? So mm -hmm. um, it depends on where your assets are, where your investments are, what banks you know might work with, what platform you're on. Um, but you should be able to have a line of credit for a certain percentage, just like a house of your portfolio. So like a home equity line of credit, you know, they might give you a line of credit for up to 80% of your home's value minus your mortgage, right? Whereas a securities backed line of credit, you might be able to get, you know, 50% or 65% of your portfolio's value as a line of credit. So yeah. a million and bucks you could get a $500,000 line of credit. Now, again, just like everything, just because you can get as that big of a line of credit doesn't mean you should use it willy-nilly, right? 
Yeah. The, the, the risks, to your point, Thomas, are when that account goes down, which you should always plan on it, you know, going down significantly yeah. at some point. Yeah, margin you want to make sure that you haven't drawn too much that your assets will no longer like, you know, be at over and above that line of credit in the way the bank wants it. So they don't wind up making you pay it back early. That's a big risk. Yeah. So you want to use it. I would really make sure like, it's a type of tool where I'd probably want to make sure I'd advocate people are working with an advisor to really coach them through that. Yeah. It, it's complex and it's risky, right? I have a client who did it and he's been margin called multiple times. He he took the loan before coming to me. He also has significant amounts of cash. Like it hasn't been a problem. He's been able to handle and just put more into there, sure. but uh, he's not, I'm like, how much stress has this given you? And he, he's like, I mean, quite a bit. And I wasn't one of my recommendation. I think he took out more than he needed to take out and more yeah. than he probably should have taken out. And sure. so like, you definitely run that risk of like, Ooh, if I take too much and now I'm margin called, like that is a big stress relief or a big stressor, but also they are lower interest than home equity lines of credit. From what I found, you can a lot of times negotiate rates, especially the higher that portfolio balance is. And then you have, I guess you have all these permanent life insurance people that talk about like, yes, you have this cash value policy. You can borrow against it. It's like, you can also go do that against your own investment accounts. And yeah. yes, when you borrow against it, it is tax-free. Yeah. And both of those, you still have an interest rate that you're paying. Yeah, yeah. I, I literally just saw um, somebody mention cash value life insurance again, which um, I have been an advocate for in the past. I'm not an advocate for anymore in most situations, but saw someone mention cash value life insurance for that purpose, right? And talked about you know, how they used it themselves, you know, to buy, you know, an asset with like buy real estate with instead of drawing on their investments. And what they didn't mention was, well, they could have done the same thing with their investments without having to pay taxes on them. They could have used the line of credit there. Exactly. So, yeah. I mean, like, I think the more we can educate on tools like this, you know, the more we can use better products and a better cohesive plan overall, right? Um, sure. Yeah, but right, it is a bit risky. You do want to make sure like, like if you're going to do it, like it probably should be with a diversified portfolio, usually in my opinion, or especially, you know, if you're going to draw bigger percentages of it rather than like, you don't want three stocks, you know, making up a million dollar portfolio and you have a, draw 50% of that out on a line of credit. Whereas yeah, three, you know stocks, what I, three stocks, when the market is down 30%, three stocks could go down 80%, right? Yeah, and imagine that, you borrowed against your million dollars of meta stock that you got while you worked there. And now it's worth 250,000. And you're like sitting here with a $400,000 loan, you thought, and you're like, no, what am I doing? Right, right, right. right. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, if I can give some examples, just like, so we're talking a lot about risks, which is important, but like, I have clients use these lines of credit to buy properties, you know, in cash and real estate in, in cash and then refinance those properties later with mortgage. It gives them an advantage over other offers, you know, in, um, in a competitive market, which it's not as a competitive real estate market right now as it was a year ago, but being able to offer in cash versus other offers on a house a year ago. Yeah, that's smart. It'd be the, deal separator and using lines of credit and then taking out a cash out refinance mortgage later can be your path to multiply 
you know, a real estate portfolio if you're into that. Um, also, you know, lines of credit like this can be a bridge to, you know, get that down payment on the next house and not be rushed to sell your current house. It could be the way to, you know, invest more in your business. And I think like the more people can see that there are paths to their opportunity here, like, you know, um, if we want to move on, like from lines of credit to other, like there are ways yeah. to put businesses, you know, with SBA loans and business loans, et cetera. Like you don't have to always have all the money to start a business or even buy a business, right? Yeah. Like sometimes there are paths to use debt to do those things, right? I would say let's for, so we only have about five minutes left. So let's stay on the personal side of debt and let's do Perfect. another episode on leveraging Perfect. debt for business owners yeah. separately. I think yeah. that'd be a really great way to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, um, what are a few other tools that you like to use? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, honestly, like so often, I mean, obviously student loans are a big topic, you know, right now with all the forgiveness out there and different changes to plans, which I think, you know, people, I think you're doing a good job of educating people on and uh, want people to be educated on. And like, I'm just a big believer on the personal side of things, even for non-business owners, if we're talking about financial planning, that most often the theme of what people want with their money is options and flexibility for however their life, you know, journey takes them. And I think all these types of debt can give you more options and flexibility. And like, I've had clients, you know, on the something that everyone's familiar with, with student loans, like where they might even have the money to pay for like a graduate degree. Right. Um, and we're planning on doing that, but using student loans sometimes instead, you know, even if you can pay for, you know, a degree yourself sometimes, or if you're a parent and paying for your kid's degree, sometimes it might make sense to take out a student loan instead of like paying in cash or instead of drawing on your investments, you know, if the market's down, right? And also giving yourself options and flexibility to one, like keep more money invested, use that money for other things, two options and flexibility to take advantage of, you know, changing government, you know, programs around forgiveness, et cetera, right? Like um, in the last couple of years, some of the reasons, you know, some clients took out student loans was just to like, in case they could participate in any sort of upcoming forgiveness and that might be paying off for them. We still don't know yet exactly, yeah. but uh, you know, there's just, I think so often, the intangible value of personal debt, of having options and flexibility, we don't talk about enough because it's all like spreadsheet of interest rates and well, is it 4% and you can earn 6%. Whereas it's not even just about that math sometimes. Sometimes it's just, it's about options and flexibility, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that that argument too of like, can I get a better interest rate in the market versus that debt? Um, the the thing that we're missing there is the time frame, right? Like right. if you're if you're three years away from retirement, that's very different than like, hey, I'm in my 20s and I can either be really aggressive with this debt or front load investments that are going to be there for 40 years. Like that, those are two different sides. But I also agree with you. Like I definitely fall on the side of leveraging debt personally, like cars, like people, Dave Ramsey, never have a car payment, all these things yeah. like 
okay, well, if I'm going to get a $30,000 car, am I going to save for three years to pay that right. down versus right. grab like a three and a half percent interest loan? And maybe that costs me like $4,000 over five years. Right. I'm right. probably t- like leveraging that debt. And mm-hmm. I, I fall that way on almost everything. The one right. I don't necessarily fall on is like only get 3% down for a house because I think a lot of times that cost is too high sure. for a lot of people on the monthly payment. And I also think it's like, if we can't save some for this down payment, what's going to make you think we can increase, buy a house and still take care of other parts of your financial plan too? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like we probably don't have time to dive into that, but I I would love to, you know, go back and forth and debate some of those finer points. But the key is like, even if we debated things like home buying and percentages, and I would agree, I mean, 3% can sometimes be, you know, risky, et cetera, but the point is, is like, it's all individual, right? There's no, you're right, or I'm right. It's, it depends on the person and what they're comfortable with. Right. You know? Um, So like, but I'm always, I'm always for people betting on themselves and not getting into this shame-based mentality of you can't use debt. Right. And to your car buying example, it's like, yeah, what, that whole like math comparison that even us, I mean, I'm guilty of it too with fun financial advising, we often start that comparison at the point of buying that car, right? Three years from, it's like, oh, we're buying a car and do we take out a loan or do we use this cash right now? And the loan is 4%, but we can invest this cash and get 6%. Well, we're forgetting that, yeah, sometimes it's, we're not accounting for the three years before that where we could have been investing that money rather than saving it in cash, right? To get to that point. And that that time horizon thing is a big deal, you know, and a factor that doesn't get talked about enough. So, yeah, let's, I, I told my next person we're going to be five minutes late. So what's one more, one more tool or oh, leverage that you like to talk about? Yeah. Um, I mean, on the personal side, I mean, I could definitely go on the business side, you know, but I'll respect that um, boundary for sure. On the personal side, I mean, I'm not sure there are a bunch of other tools I would get into right now. I mean, it's home equity loans, home equity lines of credit, you know, other lines of credit. Like I I would advocate for talking with small local community banks about options and things like that, you know, like building those relationships, especially if you get in the business owner world are a big key, you know, but mortgage cash cash out refinances and, um, you know, um, yeah, I mean, the securities backlines of credit and student loans are biggest tools that come up on the personal side all day. I got one though, 0% what? interest credit cards. Well, I sure. Think, yeah, that's another. Yeah. I think absolutely. that's a good tool people can use as long as the goal is they'll pay it off before that time frame ends. And sure. I've seen a bunch of people do it and they'd say like, whether you use it for your business or let's say, hey, I don't need a home equity line of credit, interest rates too high. We want to do a housing project. We can't, we could save for 12 months and get there, or we could do it today and over 12 months save, like pay down that debt. I'm yeah. sure there's other good options for it, but that's a great a tool to percent, use. I agree. I mean, 0% credit cards can be amazing and uh, have people use them all the time. And honestly, I've seen, you know, people I've worked with or helped here and there have schooled me in their ability to, you know, like, do one zero percent credit card and then transfer to another and then transfer to another and and they're not like abusing it it's like 
they're using it really strategically and, you know, are honestly like getting a low interest, long-term thing, strategy going. And as long as you have a strategy, it can be a really great tool. Yeah, no, I love that one. I mean, even really, if you got down to it, let's say you had $50,000 housing project and you could pay it in January, or you could pay it in 0% credit card paid over a month and let 50,000 sit in this account and get 4%. I mean, it's only $2,000, but like $2,000 to some people's half a month's income or, you know, it it can definitely still be impactful. Um, Well, cool. Any last closing thoughts you have before we do this? I think we blocked in that we're having a second episode on business owners. Cause I think like (laughs) that's a long area to go down. You Uh, did a great job. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think um, if we're on the closing thoughts, I mean, I would just simply say like, you know, whatever the money script is you were taught, if it was dead as bad, like just keep challenging that, you know, over time, if there are opportunities you feel like you're holding yourself back from, you know, don't let that mentality always hold you back. Like, uh, you know, I think it's worthy of believing in your ideas and maybe taking some risk to go after them, um, you know, and challenging that status quo. Many of us have been taught. Yeah, I love that. Well, Russ, thanks for everything you've done and thanks for hopping on here. I'm excited for part two. I think that's going to be a, a really interesting episode. And I think a lot of people are going to hopefully learn a lot from this episode. And I, I like that we're talking about this too in a higher rate environment than like the easy time when rates were super low. And it's like, well, no brainer to leverage debt then. But I think the conversation still continues that it still can be really good to leverage the right debt, even in a more of middle to high rate environment, if you do it correctly. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. Well, thanks, Thomas. Appreciate you having me. Yeah. And thanks everybody for listening. We will see you back next week. 